Welcome to Manager Tools. Today we're going to talk about what to do when a manager has two candidates for a job that meet the standard, but you can only offer one candidate. And if you think you can dismiss this cast because it's being released during a downturn, well, think again. Slowdowns are the times when we are most likely to see multiple good candidates due to more job seekers. Here we go. This is an interesting topic today because I've run into this problem many, many times. Um, and to be honest, and, and the problem being that I had interviewed a bunch of people and I come down to a, two or three candidates. They're all really, really, really good. Right. I would have been happy with any of them. Right. Yet I had a preference for one of them. I didn't want to be in the position where I offered to one. She declined. And I had already declined to the other two candidates. Just oh, that's yeah, that's well, that's pretty common. I mean, in fact, most managers they focus on the first person, and it's a function of mindset. You're looking for the best person, and you know they tend to recruit. They do two mistakes. They make two mistakes. One, they recruit to find someone good enough rather than finding the best person they can. And the other thing that they do is they look for the best person without realizing they ought to be comparing to a standard. And there might be a couple of people that meet the standard and recruiting to find somebody good enough, which I call a corollary to the warm body uh, principle. It's a pretty critical distinction in recruiting to your point, right? You're, you're, you're thrilled about it, but at the same time you were unprepared for it. Right. right? Exactly. Okay. What do I do? Right. And this is kind of, it's essentially a version of the, the horseman Christmas rule, which is, Things that we do rarely, but that are important to us, will cause us to be stressed and also ineffective. (laughs) Okay, so let's do something for our listeners here where they don't have to learn the hard way like I did. And Yeah, speaking speaking of which, I just saw something in Harvard Business Review from a few months ago, I think, that said something to the effect of human beings are gifted with the grace of being able to uh, – the only animal that's willing – that's able to to learn – from the mistakes and trials of others. Sadly, we also seem unable to do so at times. <laughs> so we need to share it and we hope people listen so they don't make the mistakes we have. So here's the problem we're going to talk about. We have two viable candidates. Both of them we, we'd be willing to, to hire. Um, obviously, we can only hire one. Right. So what do we do? Right. Um, first, let's stipulate that we have other recommendations in other casts for how to decide between the two candidates, right? That's for the interview results capture meeting and then the individual manager's work thereafter. What we're talking about here today is how to communicate to both candidates once the interviews are over and they're expecting a decision from us as the hiring manager to increase the chances that we will get a candidate of our choice as opposed to letting the candidates' concerns about timing and so on cause us to lose one, if not both, if not all of them. So we're going to, we're going to make this very linear because when people start worrying about deadlines and time, I've discovered it's better to talk step by step by step. So we have eight steps that we're going to walk through and they are these. First of all, number one, the hiring manager communicates personally and directly with both candidates. This is probably the most important thing in the whole cast. And it's true all the time. Number two, immediately 
communicate to both candidates that the decision is pending. Number three, shortly thereafter, shortly thereafter, you we offer our top candidate and we also provide a short decision deadline to the top candidate and we'll explain some math on that. It's pretty simple. We communicate every 72 hours to the second candidate regardless of what the status is. We only allow one and in rare cases two-day extensions to the offer to the first candidate because of course that second candidate is on hold that's the whole point of this is keeping that second candidate on hold and then of course seven and eight if the first candidate accepts you reject the second candidate and if the first candidate declines you offer that second candidate okay only eight steps okay good yeah <laughs> yeah but it, yeah we, we could do it in four i really did it in four but i want everybody to know every single behavior they're going to engage in so there are eight good okay so our first point is um, it's interesting because this this is one of those things that managers routinely outsource to HR, right? Which yep. is the communication with the candidate, yep. and this is the most important point we're going to make during the cast. Don't do it, <laughs> right? We, as the hiring manager, have to be the person that communicates with all candidates. You're right. Too many of us outsource communication with the candidates. We decide that we're going to only communicate with the top candidate, right? I mean, that's the one we're going after. And then we don't communicate with HR regularly about the second candidate. Uh, look, look, I totally respect people who say, I really want to go after my top candidate. But remember now, in, in our world, the top candidate is probably only slightly better than the second candidate because we are measuring against a standard, not against, it's not a race. Um, when you start thinking about races, it's less effective in hiring. You said that that managers routinely outsource communication of the decline to the second candidate. Oh, God. Uh, my experience is all too often they outsource the communication to the first candidate, the one they're going to offer, actually offer to. They're not even actually doing the offer, which is mind-boggling to me. The funny thing about that is you actually take away some of the joy on both uh, both parties. The person who's accepting to accept to HR because there's an old rule that says you're supposed to accept to the person who offered you, which is not accurate, but be that as it may. Yeah. If I interview with you, Mike, and then I have to go tell somebody in HR, somebody in HR calls me, I'm like, wow, Mike's too busy. And then if I accept, I accept the person in HR. But really what I'm thinking about is working for you. Yeah. It makes even less sense giving that that hiring is the most important behavior of effective managers. Yep. To outsource the most important thing you do. Yeah. Just just makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. The efficiency that we would get of allowing other people, HR, uh, to communicate with our candidate is far outweighed. I mean, far, far, far outweighed by the loss of effectiveness that happens when we're not the ones doing the communicating. HR is never going to understand our needs completely. They're never going to understand our timing. We might say we need somebody right away, but they hear that all the time and they roll their eyes and say, I'll do the best I can. And I, I'm not against HR here on this. We've said before, I've changed my my fundamental belief about HR. I don't hate HR. I just hate bad HR. And there's a lot of bad HR. But I'm not against HR's role here. I just think, per your point, if this is the most important thing we do, gee, should we be outsourcing it? And adding a third party to any process, by definition, increases the time of the process. An increased time 
with decreased value in terms of getting closes on offers um, and and knowing candidates to be able to make changes, it makes no sense, right? It takes longer. You get less value. Gee, that sounds like value destruction to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I doubt managers are are in a situation where they need somebody and just willing to wait extra time for the person yeah, to come on board. Exactly. Yeah. So look, look, please hear us on this. Don't allow someone else to have a conversation uh, with one of your candidates and then either a not tell you about it. Gosh, is that, I mean, that's crazy. Uh, or B characterize it for you. I cannot tell you the number of times that I've irritated people and, and my fault. I, I admit it when they are attempting, I say, what did he say? And he says, well, we talked about this and that. And I interrupt. I say, I, I didn't ask you what you talked about. What did he say? When you start describing a conversation rather than repeating a conversation, you're characterizing it. And when you characterize something, you're applying your filters to it. And HR's filters are not bad. They're just different than ours. In the same way that if we did something for HR, we would probably do it inappropriately for the way HR would normally do it because our filters are different. And then we would characterize it poorly to them. Their characterization is going to lack some of the subtlety that you'll be able to hear when you talk to people directly. Because, again, they don't understand our situation or they don't understand our candidates as completely as we do. Exactly. Yeah. So so I, let me just I'm going to beat this horse to death because it is number one. And the rest of them are pretty straightforward in terms of linear. We talk to all candidates. If we direct, reject somebody, we tell them we rejected them. If a candidate is still pending, we tell them they're still pending. If a candidate has questions, we are happy to take those calls. You know, what if HR flubs an answer? And you lose somebody over HR's flub. They don't mean anything wrong by it. They just don't understand the subtlety of the question and what it might mean. And look, if the H, if the candidate asks us an HR question, fine, refer that to HR. But at least now we know they're asking and we right. know what the thrust of their question is. Right. And we can give some context to HR before they answer the question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Good. Yeah. We're the one that interviewed him. We know him better than HR. No, again, no offense to HR. Okay. So now. The first point is absolutely the most important. The second one is, I think, where the real genius comes in, right? We have two candidates. Now, and let's be honest, they're, they're both be well-suited for the position. We'd, we'd absolutely be happy if either of them accepted the position. But the first thing we do is we immediately communicate to both of them that the decision is pending. Yeah, you're right. The interview process is over. We've gathered input. input. From the interview results capture meeting, it's another one of those great casts that nobody ever talks about. It makes your life so much easier if you're interviewing. Out of that, we learned that there are two candidates that meet our overall standards. And so what that means is we could see ourselves hiring either one of them. And the question is, what now? Before, before we communicate, let's say we interviewed four people. Before we communicate to those two people that did not make it, before we do that, we first have to quickly call those candidates that are still viable. If we got a thumbs up and we believe two candidates are hireable, regardless of which one we think is better, and in fact, at this point, we don't know which one is better because we haven't done that analysis, what we communicate to them immediately is that the decision is still being made and they are still very much in the running. Now, remember, think about this for a second. Everybody's thinking, well, gosh, why would you need to communicate right after you had an interview results capture meeting? We have an interview results capture meeting each time we interview somebody so that the content we get of the, the, uh, the information is fresh in the minds of the inter interviewers. We might have two or three interview results capture meetings in some situations, and it may have been four days since we did our first interview. 
So somebody may have been waiting three or four days if you're not following the 72 hour rule. And so we need to, we, we need to tell them as soon as they know. And probably what we've done is somebody has, has slipped and told them when the last interview is. We need to communicate the decision is still being made and they're in the running. Yeah. And you could say some candidates have been ruled out, but they're still being considered. You, you, Mike, are still being considered and doing due to your strong performance. And decisions like this take time. We feel strongly that we want to get the right people on our team. So a couple of examples. Okay. Here's the first one. Allie, we were very impressed during your interviews. I'm calling to let you know that you were highly recommended and we're trying to come to a decision. Some candidates have been ruled out, but you're definitely still in the running. Sometimes it takes several days to get all the details worked out, but I'll be in contact in the next few days and I will keep you posted. Congratulations on how you did. Now, this statement, you're making this statement to both of the remaining viable candidates, right? Not just right, your top exactly. Candidate. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't the one we make to our top candidate because, again, we haven't decided which our top candidate is. We're just being open now and providing more feedback than most organizations do. So whether we hire somebody or not, they're going to say, wow, that was a good process. They know what they're doing. They're not like everybody else. I mean, this is one of the 10 worst managerial processes relative to its importance that I know of in corporate America. Good. Uh, and frankly, in small companies as well. Good. Okay. So so here's another example. Okay. Hey, Claire, I'm calling with some good news so far. You did very well in your interviews and you're still in the running. We've eliminated some candidates, but we're still very interested in you. Sometimes these decisions take a few days and I just didn't want to leave you hanging and I'll be in touch as I know more. Good. Yeah. And look, think about this for a second. Okay. That, that you do that first. You, you, you don't try to make a decision fast. You give them some candy. You say, look, Hey, be happy for a little bit. And that gives you a little bit more time to make a good decision. But here, note the beauty here of not having made a decision in terms of who will offer. Okay. We're assuming that you would offer your number one candidate, right? But, but you haven't made the decision about who's number one by communicating quickly and not about your decision. We basically avoid being in the awkward position of being asked if someone is number one when they are or not, but we'd rather not share that. So we have this early, hold on, you're still in the running before we've made a decision about who our number one is. Right. And this is exactly the opposite of what folks do, which is they, they communicate quickly to their top candidate. Well, and they yeah, say they communicate quickly. To the second uh, yeah, but I would just caution. They communicate quickly to their top candidate if they know who their top candidate is. But if they don't, they feel rushed to decide who the top candidate is and they leave everybody hanging. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Even the top candidate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Too many managers do what has been done to them and communicate too little. And I think a lot of times it's because they're afraid they're going to be asked a question they don't want to answer. But frankly, if somebody asks you a question you don't want to answer, say, I'm just not sure about that yet. Give me some more time. And people will respect that. And it's one of the reasons the, the lack of communication is one of the reasons all of us hate this process. It's being done wrong for the wrong reasons. Good. Okay. Now that we've done that, now shortly thereafter, we offer our top candidate. Right. Sure. Once we've made a decision, and again, that's a completely separate cast. Yes. <laughs> We offer the candidate we have ranked as our best of those that were viable. Yeah, and if we and if we have a lot of candidates, we need to move pretty quickly here. Yeah, exactly. Um, taking longer than seventy-two hours to make a decision between two candidates is too long, and really, way, way, way too long. Frankly, unless you intend to ask for more information, which, by the way, only proves that your process was flawed, you have all the information you're going to have. And we recommend sitting down 
and deciding. I mean, really, you can do this in one evening. Yeah. And if you can't decide in one evening, in terms of in, with you know some concentrated thinking and comparison, then it's a different issue. You need to turn both candidates down at that point. Yeah. No two candidates are that equally matched. And frankly, if you're delaying, in our experience, it's indicative of a lack of interest in offering either of them, not in deciding which, which of the two to offer, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and the idea that, oh, they're both so good, I just can't choose. Well, then flip a coin. I mean, really? Right. <laughs> I mean, particularly if you've offered less than five people in your life, at that point, no offense. It was true for me. It was true for Mike as well. You're just not that good at it. The idea that, it, again, it's Horseman's Christmas rule. You've done it five times in your professional career, and you think you're a master at it? It's just, it's a joke. Right. And again, we, we have a cast on how to make an offer, the four parts of an offer, deadline, salary, that benefits, all that sort of stuff. Um, and we encourage you to listen to the how to make an offer cast. <laughs> Good. Okay. So we're going to make an offer. And I, I think this is another one that makes f- people feel uncomfortable is we're going to provide a fairly short decision deadline to that top candidate. Yeah, sure. I mean, offers by definition include a deadline. Okay. One clever definition of an offer I heard is, is when control passes from the company to the candidate. Okay. If we don't include a deadline with our offer, we're ceding control permanently as a matter after a fashion to the person we're offering. And that's unacceptable. And that frankly, it's poor stewardship of, of the resources of the company. And that offer is a resource of the company. Right. Do we have any specific guidance on, and I know, <laughs> yeah, this I hate good. asking these questions when I know the answer, but, but do we have any specific guidance on when we might do that? Yeah. And, and this is where, when I told this to a, to a manager once, it was a VP who was hiring a senior manager and he just looked at me with his mouth hanging open because, I mean, he probably hired 20 or 30 people, but he had never really, I mean, he's a smart guy, uh, never really thought about the process of hiring. It was always kind of seat of the pants. I'm a smart guy. I know who I want. I can sell them. We'll figure it out. We'll get the people we want. And he had a long track record of, track record of getting who he wanted. But that's that's not the way to do it. The better way to do it is to have a plan and to manage things a little bit more carefully. Uh, and the great thing about having a plan like this, it's measurable. If you do it this way five or six times and you discover a distinct difference in terms of how people respond, you can change your process and improve the results. This is a professional endeavor we're talking about. It's not, you can't go through your life doing seat of the pants stuff. It takes time to master things. It's worthy. The process of offering people and hiring people is worthy of good, solid study. I'm not going to try to convince everybody that, that you should spend more time on this or anything else. Even it is the most, even if it is the most important thing you do, but I'm going to say, let's do it a certain way every time that benefits us and increases our chances of success. And here's how, here's our recommendation. The normal guidance is deadlines are the Monday in general, not in this particular case, but in general, deadlines are, are for the Monday after the offer is made. That allows every candidate to deliberate over a weekend. But in this case, We've got two viable candidates, and we wouldn't want a good chance to, to hire the candidate that is still waiting if our first choice candidate says no. So we do that by shortening the amount of time a candidate has control through the offer that we've made. So we recommend in the situation where we have two viable candidates that the deadline you set is 5 p.m., four days from the start of the day you're making the offer on, or by 8 a.m. Monday, if that deadline ends up falling on the weekend. 
So let me see. So if you offer a Monday, right? Even to say it's Monday four p.m. Right, still, still Monday, regardless of if you do the the offer at four or six or eight or or ten a.m. Yeah, right. right? So four days. So then the deadline would be Thursday at five p.m. Right, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That's four. Thursday at five p.m. Right. Okay. And if you offer on Tuesday, then the deadline would be Friday at five p.m. Right. But if you offer on Wednesday or Thursday, the four days would show up on a weekend. So then the deadline is Monday at eight a.m. Yep. Okay. And if you offer on Friday, the deadline's Monday at five p.m. So yeah. So yeah, the Wednesday counts. Thursday you have a Monday deadline of eight a.m. But if it's Friday deadline, then they get they get all the weekend and Monday as well. They get until five p.m. Gotcha. on Monday. Yeah. So in terms of making a decision, the weekend are are work days as far as we're concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and look, if so- someone's married, they're going to want time with their spouse. And, and if their spouse is working, you don't want them cramming in between putting the kids to bed and all that kind of stuff, even if they're texting and calling back and forth all during the day. You want people to breathe deep a few times before they say yes, or for that matter, before they say no. The reason for this is that we found these deadlines are not ill-perceived by the candidate waiting in the wings. If you give somebody two weeks normally, and then you give somebody two weeks now, that's too long to be the number two candidate. That just makes them think, what are these guys doing? How can they not get their stuff together? For once, in this situation, if you're crisp about this, using the timeline we just recommended, the slowness, the lack of crispness that other people have, the lack of clear communication that every other hiring company goes through actually helps us. Our viable candidate, whom we haven't been able to offer, is going to consider the delay totally reasonable and won't assume they're going to be passed over for somebody better, at least in part because we're talking to them all the time. Good. Okay. And then after we've done this, now we still have the second candidate waiting in the wings, so to speak. Right. And so we don't want to leave them hanging there. So every 72 hours, we're going to communicate to that second candidate. Right. After 72 hours, too many candidates, active and negative imaginations kind of get the best of them. It's so easy to remain in the front of the candidates' minds and to ask for grace relative to the process you're going through by simply touching base on a regular basis. So what might you say? What's an example Okay. Allie, just want you to know we're still working on things. We feel we'll have an answer to you shortly. I suspect it will be by blank. And what you would do is insert the day one day past the deadline of the candidate who has been offered and say, I'm really sorry for the delay, but trust me, we're working on this. Right. Now, now you didn't tell them that they're second choice. No. Okay. No. In fact, they're not in the sense that they met our standard and our standard is so high that the distinction between being number one and number two is irrelevant to us because it's so hard to get hired. We have such a high standard. If you meet the standard, if there were a hundred people and uh, um, there were two people that were simply that met the standard, would you say, well, gee, I want to know if I'm number two or number one. A lot of people would say yes. But what if you ended up getting the offer because the other person said, I didn't really like you after all. Right. Maybe we think the number one candidate is really interested in us when, in fact, he's just playing us. And then you're going to play sour grapes and say, well, I was number two. So therefore, I don't want to come to work for you. Dumb, dumb, monumentally dumb. So give me a little more information in terms of how we communicate it. Is it important that I I speak to Ali directly or can I leave a voicemail? Can I communicate email? Yeah, not email. No, no, yeah, kidding. not so much on the email. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, please. No more email. You know, voicemail is fine, but here's the thing. Face to face is great, but it's rarely going to happen. Phone is what's likely going to happen 90% of the time. A voicemail is fine simply because the alternative is to call and hang up when you get voicemail. They'll know you called. 
or to call and say, please call me, which you will indicate by the tone of your voice that it's not an offer, which totally bums people out. Right. So you, the, the process by which we deliver it affects the content. And so therefore you, you can leave a voicemail and that's a, I just want you to know we're still working on things. Is it better to do it, you know, on the phone live? Sure it is, but don't say to yourself, well, since it's better to do it live, I'm not going to leave it on voicemail and then have the person get a voicemail, which says, please call me. You know, I got to tell you the please call me mail, the people assume, well, I'm done. And, and then even if you tell them you're still being considered, they're one step out of the gutter, but they're not one step below heaven. Right. So, yeah, yeah it's a, it's, it just leaves things in a very uh, awkward yeah. position. Okay. So let's go back. Let's go back to the individual we offered to. We gave them four days, which right. for many will seem kind of tight. Yeah, it is. It is kind of tight compared to normal. So we give them a deadline of, say, Monday at 8 a.m. Right. And I get a call from Allie, or not from Allie, I get a call from Joe Monday at 8 a.m. And he says, hey, I need, I need more time. Can I have another week? <laughs> what do you That's think? That's easy. I'm sorry, Joe. No. The answer is no. We, we're respectful of people in the process. Uh, as long as you have the offer, we really can't go through a process. We can't justify going out and interviewing. And yet, we, as you well know, we need to fill the position. So what I can do is this. I can give you to the end of day today. Or worst case, I can give you to 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. And I know that end of the day today is, is short. Um, and I apologize for that. And yet, you know, we, this position's been opened a little bit. It's a critical position, as I've shared with you. So if you ask me for 8 a.m. tomorrow morning, that's fine. I can do that. Um, but really, the answer is um, I'd love to have an answer by the end of the day today. Are there any circumstances under which you'd grant more than a day? It would be a very unusual situation. If somebody said, look, I'm really sorry, but I spent the last, I spent all day Saturday night and most of Sunday in the ER with my son. He had an asthma attack or, you know what? I, I just put my wife on a plane. She's going to see her mom. Her dad's, um, a little bit older and frail and he's fallen. Sure. Okay. Fine. But I wouldn't give more than two days. And if they sighed and said, well, gee, I don't know if that's going to work for me. So I'm really sorry. I totally respect the fact that this is a pinch. Um, and, you know, I admit, I wouldn't want to hear what your spouse has to say about me. And all I can say is I'm trying to balance your needs with our needs. And I hope you respect that time is of the essence here. Right. I think if you're respectful of other people without being demanding and essentially by that very respect, assume a respect in return. Look, I've, I've made offers two, 300 times with deadline extensions and nod and all that kind of stuff. I've never had someone get, pissy part part in the french uh, you know i just haven't so right now have you found the same thing that i have which is most of the time when folks delay for an extended period of time is one of two reasons one is they're uncertain about their 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 fit their fit right which more time really won't help but yeah that's right, right exactly yeah um and, and and most often it's tied to the fact that well they're talking to somebody else yeah and they're and they're they're Perhaps waiting for the other offer. They want they want to yeah. compare two offers. Yeah, don't assume yours is the only one. And here's the funny thing about that, Mike. They not only aren't waiting for another offer, they're waiting for another nibble. They're basically saying, you're my number two. This is quite common. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm not saying it's 90% of the time when someone delays, but it's not less than 30, and it may be as high as 60% of the time, maybe even more than that, that somebody wants to delay because they want a nibble from the number one company. I can't tell you the number of people who have gotten an offer from their number two company. Oh, I need to string them out. I need to string them out. I need to string them out. And they've gotten all the extensions they possibly can. And they still haven't even heard a nibble from the other company. And they're calling the other company saying, you know, I've got another offer. I got another offer. And then finally they say no, 
or worse, they ask for an extension for a week, which only gets them to the point where the primary company gives them an interview. And they say, okay, I need another week for the interview. And then the other company, they don't even realize the other company takes a month to, to put together interviews. And basically, as a candidate, we respect it. We've been in that situation. We've had deadlines expire and so on. The bottom line is simple. You can't massage the system to have it work out perfectly. And there's going to come a time when you have to make a decision with less than all of the eggs you want in your basket. Right. And that's part of adulthood and professionalism. And it's frustrating, but that's what we're doing on the, on the company side as well. Right. Well, this is one of the, the beauties of having uh, your decision-making process based upon an absolute standard for the candidate versus having the, the top candidate simply being the best of a bunch of them. Like, exactly. And, and fo- if you haven't listened to our, our cast on, on interviewing and offering, you ought to. But our, our standard here is if I interview 20 people and none of them meet the absolute standard, the answer is not to hire the best of those 20. Right. The answer is you say no to all of them to say no to all continue them. on. So our yeah. second candidate is absolutely capable of, of performing the job and we'd be thrilled to have the second person on board. Right. Okay. So we do that. They will say they don't offer for a del- They don't ask for a delay and right. then they accept. What do we do then? Woohoo. <laughs> we celebrate. Right. Yeah. I, I'm always amazed by the candidate who says, I would have liked more time, but I'm going to go ahead and accept. <laughs> I did say once to a candidate, I, I didn't, I think, I think I got jabbed back a little bit. I think I said once, yeah, I was looking for a better candidate, but I couldn't find him. So I settled on you. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Good start of the relationship. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> wow. Talk about sweeping all the goodwill off the table. Yeah. Look, if the first candidate accepts, it's pretty obvious you're thrilled, right? And then you quickly call your second candidate and you break the news. The fact that we've held this person off in hopes of offering them means that once we know we can't offer, we have an obligation to close the loop quickly. Uh, we, we really don't have time to cover it, but there is a right way to how to decline a candidate. And we'll, we'll deliver that cast at some point in the future, I'm sure. Uh, if it hasn't already come out, I don't think it has. And so you, you just decline as quickly as possible. Now, somebody asked me once, Mark, why wouldn't I wait a couple of days? Because I've discovered that people, sometimes they accept an offer and they call back in a couple of days and maybe they want to decline. No, I'm sorry. You can't do that. You can't. You have an obligation to the second candidate to communicate immediately. Once the offer has been accepted, the offer no longer exists. The job is closed. And if something unusual happens, and yes, in some industries it happens more often than others, but you don't put somebody in your back pocket and hold them there longer than is absolutely reasonable. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Okay, so that's that's the, the, the best case your first candidate accepts. What if the first candidate declines? Yeah. Okay. Look, they declined. You lost them. It might as well have been that they ruled themselves out by saying something stupid in an interview. You you don't know because you don't care to some degree. I mean, please, we're not suggesting you're an insensitive lout, but the fact is you're okay because you have another candidate that met the standard and the standard is so high that it's hard, hard to meet. So right. you're, you're, I mean, it's like, it's like the old joke about somebody wins a, a Ferrari and they say, dang it, I already have a small car. Right. And, and of course we tell the, the, the second candidate to whom we're offering the job, uh, we tell them all about the first candidate. And the- yeah. You know, we offered Bob, Allie, but he declined. So we're pretty much stuck with you. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. No, yeah. No mention is made of the first candidate or the previous offer. And by the way, HR has messed this up before for me. So this is part of the reason why. Point number one, you do all the communication. And in the same way that this offer to this second candidate, now our candidate, is private. It's between us and them. The first offer and the first candidate's situation with us, 
was private as well. Good. So how does it, how might that sound? Yeah. Look, we might begin with Allie. I'm thrilled to be calling you with an offer. Sometimes these things take time. I apologize for our delay. Uh, please don't think anything about the delay. I'm totally excited. It's so hard to get hired here. And the, we were just so thrilled that you're so good. And we're totally hopeful that you'll join our team. Yeah. So sounds very similar to what you might have said to the first candidate. Yeah, exactly. Look, let me let me just sum up here a little bit. I'll, I'll walk through the steps again, but let me just say this. Perhaps all of this seems pretty simple to a lot of folks. And maybe this cast took a little bit longer than some people would have wanted. But try to remember there are new managers listening to this that have never offered. And their boss is not training them. And HR is saying, we'll do everything. And so we're going to be a little bit more explicit here because this is the most important thing you do. If you have nothing but great people on your team, your job is a lot easier. Okay. So it is a little bit simplistic. It's a little bit step-by-step and it's a little bit granular, but we've seen too many managers mess up either communicating with both candidates quickly, which is our, our second step, right? Or giving short deadlines. They give too long a deadlines because they think they should just to be nice, which is actually not nice. It's sloppy and it's, it, it's, uh, inefficient or they fail to stay in touch with that second candidate. Doing these, this process well is worth it. After the expense and investment we went through as an organization to put together a process and follow the process that brought us two viable candidates. Don't put your best foot forward in an interviewing process and then drag the other foot behind at the end. Because what people are going to remember is the end of the process as much as the interviews. Agreed. Yeah. So real quick overview. You communicate personally and directly with both candidates. Don't outsource that. You immediately communicate both before you make a decision about which one's number one. You communicate quickly. They're both still in the running. Then you offer quickly thereafter your top candidate. You provide them a short decision deadline. We gave you some some uh, math about that. You communicate every 72 hours to the second candidate as this whole process is going through to keep them on the front burner, so to speak. You can allow one-day deadline extensions uh, to in rare, rare cases. And, of course, if your first, first candidate accepts, you have to call the second candidate and decline their their interest. And if the first candidate declines, then you've got a second candidate who's ready and believes you've been legitimately pursuing the process. And you have a much higher likelihood of them saying yes, which is the whole point of this process to begin with. And that's it. Awesome. All right, my friend. Thanks, partner. We'll see you. Bye. That's it, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Hey, and for those of you who joined us in London for our Effective Manager Conference and One Day Effective Communication Conference, a big thanks. For me particularly, the joy and enthusiasm you all showed around the topic of management and getting better as managers really motivated me for this upcoming year. And I thank you for that immensely. So thanks again. All right, everybody. We'll see you next week. So long.